Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadif Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Going to talk Cubs, fresh on the heels of another series win. You know, I try not to have a, either in my writing or in my speaking about it, like a an intonation as though I'm disappointed about a series win or that I'm like pre-defensive about a series win. Because um, it, it is not true. I am legitimately pleased that the Cubs once again beat a kind of annoying team on the road, uh, two out of three. Maybe, much like the Royals series, they could have swept it. The game they lost, it was sort of like, oh, God, you could have won that. We'll talk about some of the specifics of that one in a moment. But I think I still don't want to lose sight of something that you were kind of hammering in the last podcast, Sahadev, which is that this time of year, I think especially as rosters change so much and young guys sort of get put into positions of prominence on losing teams and get a chance to really show what they can do or get those game reps. I just think teams like the Tigers and Royals can be particularly vexing for good teams this time of year. And, you know, taking four of six from them for the Cubs is simply nothing to be concerned about. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this team isn't playing its best, right? I mean, it's been a weak schedule for a while, I guess, outside of a couple series, but I think they were playing much better when they were kind of ro- when leading into the deadline and then kind of post-deadline, right? Uh, that Atlanta series. I was going to say, mean, there were just some... the, the Cubs have only had two tough series this, this like second half, right? And the Cubs won them both. Yeah. It was the Braves series and, and the Blue Jays well. series. Yeah, and and they they've looked good. I I guess there were some signs around the Mets and Blue Jays series where it's like, hmm, okay, everything's not clicking as much, and and they're kind of eking some wins out or just barely losing some games to to teams they probably shouldn't. Uh, it probably started around the Mets series, right? Because you're not going to be perfect, and a team isn't this. I, I mean, you know. Can this team go deep in the playoffs? Can they make a run? Sure. Are they the best team in baseball? Are they competing for the best team in baseball? No, not like that's just not reality, right? This is there. There are teams that are in between and that's okay. Like this is a good team, not a great team. When they are not clicking on all cylinders, it's going to be ugly wins against bad teams, right? And like you said, like Detroit has this three two three four i guess of green uh torkelson and carpenter that 
they're all good. They're good ball players. I didn't know who Kerry Carpenter was until like I started doing some research on the Tigers, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy!" Uh, and I was like, "This isn't just like a month long run. Like this guy's having a monster season." Uh, didn't like a nineteenth round pick or something? That's a hell of a, that's a hell of a snag for the Tigers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just just a, a an annoying the like the last two series have been like wow, the Cubs should be beating the crap out of these teams, but these teams are kind of annoying and pesky and, and having like a nice little stretch. And like we said, the Cubs just aren't playing their best baseball right now. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but uh, like like Stroman before he went on the IL, Drew Smiley's just not giving them what they need in their rotation right now. Uh, like it's, a, it's an issue uh, and it was clear. I, I can't can't blame him for giving them giving giving him that one start uh, I understand the thought process of of a mental reset and having a couple good relief outings and and kind of going from there and and hoping he could he could help out uh, but it, it it didn't work and I also and I listen like I think I some people I saw like going off on Twitter and maybe this is just my feed uh what I'm seeing but like Ross is clearly struggling to get through these games with his bullpen. He's trying to find a way. So, like, I know everybody's like, why is he still keeping him in there? Why is Rucker pitching in a tie game? It's like, (laughs) he's got to use these guys. He's got to try and get through this. He's got to try and save some arms. You saw how good Merriweather looked after just a couple days off, right? Edward Alzali does not look like himself right now. These guys are gassed, just absolutely gassed, and they need any time off. Like, I think it's really important that Mark Leiter Jr. has been getting these short bursts. Like, they need to try, like, Ross is doing whatever he can to try and conserve them because he knows he's got, what, five weeks of the regular season and hopefully a postseason to work with. So uh, he's, try, he's trying to do his best. and he, He's in the middle of 13 straight again. We, we talked about all those days off. I, I don't think that was enough to really reset this bullpen. Well, look, David Ross doesn't need uh, our – Sympathy. Uh, part of his job is just having to wear it uh, when the Cubs are struggling or those in-game moments. But, like, he's done a pretty good job. I personally don't get it when I go on Twitter and it's like, oh, man, they won another one-run game in spite of Ross's decisions. Like, oh, man, this offense is awesome except for that dumb lineup that he puts together every day it's just like what did you expect this year i mean look at this team on paper how are you supposed to manage this team the cubs don't want to pay for number one starters they don't want to pay for good free agent relievers they don't really develop pitchers through the draft and they're in a playoff position now a year ahead of schedule so like ross isn't perfect ross had like no experience coming into this job like he was handed one of only 30 jobs and a pretty good setup, even though he had, you know, a bad hand kind of towards the start. So, like, he's not this sympathetic figure. But, like, on balance, when you look up, if you're not, like, hardcore on Twitter every single pitch, like, if you're a more casual fan or, like, a reasonable baseball person, not even a Hall of Fame baseball person, you can look at this and be like, oh, he must be doing a pretty good job, right? I mean, this team was 10 under, and they're in a playoff spot now. Like... Good job. Well, we talked about it last year with the team after, um, what, in the second half last year, coming together, playing well, and people and guys still being focused and still being positive and still thinking about the future and still, it just felt like the vibes, which I hate defaulting to that, but sometimes that does encompass what you're trying to 
communicate. It felt like the vibes in the second half last year reflected a positive clubhouse energy. And that matters. Some people would argue, even some analysts argue, that that is the most important thing a manager can do in terms of producing on-field results is to make sure that his players are in a good place to be able to do that. And that's where I fall back a lot of times in terms of manage, evaluating a manager. The game-to-game stuff, the in-game stuff, we're going to beef about it sometimes. It's in a part of that is because we don't have all the information. We've talked about that before. Sometimes certain guys aren't available. Sometimes there are matchup decisions that are based on highly esoteric pitch path, swing path things that we do not have access to at a time at a given time. So I, people get mad at me that I'm not harder on managerial decisions, but I'm, but I'm telling you it's because I don't know. I'm smart enough to know the things I don't know. So I think that that's where I kind of don't participate too much in the the screaming. But the times that frustrate me, um, oh, sorry, to wrap that, agree with Mooney. On balance, I think this has been, a, you'd have to evaluate this as a fine job done, especially when you consider the fact that this is a Cubs team that now is without their on paper best starting pitcher, essentially for half the season. You know, he, he was there but not pitching well and now he's out and that's Stroman and then they also started the season again essentially not having two of the most key relievers that they thought they had in place in Keegan Thompson and Brandon Hughes uh, just not having them from the jump and that throws your planning for a wrench that you've got to work through through the year so uh, respect to that where I do beef a little bit is where it seems like we do have all the information and a poor decision is nevertheless being made, being made for the wrong reasons or being made. uh, I don't know. And so I want to touch on the decision that I'm sure was not solely from Ross, but the decision to start Drew Smiley at all uh, in that middle Tigers game uh, bothered me from the moment it was announced last week. Uh, I didn't, I didn't understand why you would, hurt the bullpen by taking Smiley out of it, where he had, you know, it wasn't just three good outings by the results. He actually looked like an effective one-inning reliever. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, And we talk about how gassed the bullpen is. Well, that would have helped to have him in there, right? And you also choose not to start Hayden Wisniewski, who maybe isn't an obviously better option we know he has warts okay but he's not an obviously worse option and he comes with probably some more upside of a good outing and you get some development value out of it there is no ancillary value in starting drew smiley you're just kind of hoping that he's gonna turn it around and give you a good result because well he pitched okay in the bullpen and maybe that'll flip a switch in his brain and he'll just be better and no he goes out there and immediately gives up first inning runs again because the command is just not there at all and it, it really, that bugged me. And then to compound matters that, that after the game, when the discussion was, my understanding from reading the, the reports is that is, is that you guys, the media were sort of asking like, well, you know, that's, you're going to make a change, right? And uh, nope, David Ross was very defensive of not only Smiley's performance, uh, but that they didn't really have any other options. What do you say? There's, it's not like we have some great ace that's waiting to take over, which is just the biggest straw man in the world, because no one's saying that you are keeping an ace out of it. It's that you can't keep starting a guy who keeps showing you that he can't do it right now. Um, so 
that bugged me. And then there was then the the currently announced rotation does include Smiley for another start this weekend. And boy, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't I don't pop off too often about managerial decisions and, and things like that. But that I am perturbed at the moment. And I will be if Smiley takes that start on Sunday as currently scheduled, uh, I will be beefing. Oh, and and. If you knew that you just had to start Drew Smiley for that game, had to, well, then why in the world the night before are you using Hayden Wisniewski to get two outs in a game? Just two outs. He's not even eating bulk innings. You're just getting two outs from him when you know you could have him lined up to take over as a formal piggyback the next day, which, by the way, Cubs would have won that game if it had done that. He, Smiley wouldn't have been in position to give up the extra runs that I'm saying that cost them the game. I'm just saying I I hate doing that hindsighty like butterfly wings thing. But if if Wisniewski uh, had been lined up to take over that inning at the start of the inning, Cubs win that game. So I was really yeah, it just felt like poor planning and poor decision making. I'll all nitpick. Around. I'll nitpick with you on that. He he had Wisniewski eat up those two innings because he need. No, I mean that, those outs. two outs. Two yeah outs. those two outs. Because it was just because you knew it wouldn't keep him from pitching the next day. It, it was, would if you were trying to piggyback him for three three plus innings. He got two plus innings, right? Two and two thirds. I understand. Do you think he was at Is peak effectiveness? I, I mean, he. I, I just think because Ross he knows did, what he can handle yeah, just and he do did the next well. day. I think he doesn't mean that. Was I think a good he process. knew he knew he was pitching the next day, and I think what you question there is why. Why did he only go two outs? Oh, it's clearly because he's going the next day. I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue when he pulled Smiley because he had to try and get him to that. He was trying to get him to a point, right? He was trying to get him before the heart of that order through that inning. Like I said, like the the bullpen's really in a tenuous situation. Uh, I I do. West, I, I West get where you're had coming to finish from. that inning anyway. He came in and he pitched that inning anyway. I know, so. I know. Well, that's what he was trying to get him through that without having to like get through that inning. It didn't work, but like he was, he was trying to, uh, he was, he was trying to do that. And I listen. I I'm not going to. I think some of this is also what we were talking about about uh, uh, like the behind the scenes stuff and understanding how to handle people and trying to trust your guys. Um, I I get it. Fans see Smiley. You guys see Smiley and the struggles he's had. And it's like no chance, right? No way. But they also need him engaged. They need him as part of the bullpen going forward. I think giving him one more chance to start is a way to say like, listen, man, we still believe in you. And and you looked good out of the bullpen. And Ross was trying. And maybe they legitimately believe that this was okay. This is what he needed to get back to where he was, right? It's clear that that's not the case. He's not he's not right right now as a starter. Can he go in short bursts against certain pockets? Probably. I, I think that's very possible. I also I also agree that I, I don't know how you start him again, right? Like you are this is I I, uh, I would not listen to Ross's post game comments all the time and and just take it as gospel. He's very annoyed after losses. And any sort of of question can kind of give him a snippy response. And that was probably the type of like, I didn't hear the question exactly, but I uh, I think it was almost like assumed that, that Smiley was going to be out the, the way the question was framed. And I don't think, and I think that was Ross defending his guy. 
and 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 he's like i'll basically like that's my decision type thing you don't make those decisions and i'll talk to him in private and i'm gonna like set you straight right now like type thing right that's that's almost how that he he's he's snippy in post game he snaps at people that's just how he is in post game when they lose when they lose and they lost that game a game they should have won right so so I get I I understand everyone's reaction to that fans not like being like what the hell's going on here. I just wouldn't like I don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. I don't know if Smiley's going to start. I'd be a little surprised if he does. Um I you know, I I I think you know you need to get him right. I think he needs to help the team in some fashion. I'm not sure if starting anymore uh outside of like you just absolutely have to because you have no other options or you've exhausted all the other options but I do believe it's time to test out some other options there I think that's that is undeniable uh to me like while watching that I was like ah this is it's clear like you gave him this second you gave him this other chance he tried to reset it didn't work and now now you're you're in this race you got to try you you can't can't give him any more rope and I think that's kind of the conversation Ross needs to have with Smiley and he's not going to have it right after the game through the media you guys watch that show uh winning time on HBO about the Lakers dynasty I listened to a podcast about it but I don't watch it (laughs) so I'm not isn't that weird it's like that is very weird. weird uh it's pretty entertaining I'm not like recommending it or saying it's good or bad Apparently, lots of elements of truth were stretched uh, very far from what actually happened. So I don't know the ins and outs of this, but Paul Westhead, the pre-Pat Riley coach, there are these scenes where he's arguing with Jerry West in the front office of, like, I have control over the roster. Like, that was apparently written into his contract. I don't know if this is a 1980s NBA thing. Uh, I don't know how it works in other sports but it really made me think of David Ross like do you think like David Ross controls all these decisions I mean as Aramis Ramirez would say no chance Poppy like if it was up to David Ross we might have gotten Jordan Wicks earlier you know what I mean like we don't know all the ins and outs of this here like I, I think these are all group decisions they're driven by consensus and he has to kind of make the decisions with kind of what he has on hand he's certainly certainly not in his contract where he gets a final say on every spot uh in the bullpen and I highly doubt uh he wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about oh man that 40-man roster spot on January 28th like who knows uh who the Royals might put on might have wished we'd saved it you know Exactly. So uh, that's where, to me, like, I get what you're saying, Brett, about Wisniewski, uh, that particular. There's certainly, for any manager, there's always stuff that you can nitpick and and pinpoint. But I think a lot of this larger stuff goes above his head to organizational stuff that, uh, you know, quite frankly, they – they need to give him some more talent here. Like obviously the trade deadlines passed, but whether that's Jordan Wicks or that's getting Ben Brown healthy, uh, there's always that kind of grab grab bag of depth at AAA Iowa. You know, you hope to catch lightning in a bottle. Like that's where um, the Cubs have to make a difference here down the stretch and help out their manager. Speaking of which, so I think we all 
believe that at some point the Cubs are likely to give someone else a start. You know, I think that that's likely. And Jordan Wicks, we know, was scratched from his start at Iowa on Wednesday evening, non-injury related. Tommy Birch uh, at the Des Moines Register uh, reporting that. And we saw some video of him on the feed. He was throwing like a side session in the bullpen. So he's healthy. He's staying fresh. So I think it is reasonable to suspect that that scratch happened because the Cubs are at least thinking about the possibility that he could come up soon and take a start. Mooney's reference to the 40-man roster is just that Wicks is not eligible for the Rule 5 draft after this season, and so therefore the Cubs wouldn't have to put him on the 40-man yet. And so if they do, if they call him up, he goes on the 40-man, and he has to stay on the 40-man all offseason, which then kind of, you know, can reduce flexibility at some point. But wholly agree that if he's your best option to take a start right now, you don't worry about that stuff. You get him up, you take the start, and you deal with the consequences later. Um, one, you guys don't have to remark upon this because we didn't talk about it pre-pod, but I did think it's really interesting and surprising that Shane Green, veteran, longtime veteran reliever, at times very, very good. He was a midseason minor league signing by the Cubs, ostensibly just as a, you know, get him in the system, get him down to the pitch lab, see how he's doing, see if maybe he could be a late-in-the-year relief option, right? Well, he'd been starting at Iowa, but he'd been starting in these, like, two, three-inning bits that you could easily have attributed to just, well, they want to get enough uh, clean innings for him for evaluation, see how he's doing. It's, you know, you you would be forgiven, and this is me forgiving myself, for not thinking the Cubs were even remotely considering him as a starting option. Well, but then on Tuesday, I think he threw five innings, five dominant innings for Iowa as a kind of true starter. So that might be something to just sort of tuck in the back of your mind that whether it's as a starter or a long reliever, I'm pretty sure the Cubs are looking at him as an option at some point soon-ish. They do have open 40-man spots, so accommodating him would not really be an issue. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Wicks, I think, you know, I think you kind of have to get him up here and and have him make a start. I think he's one of those guys that the way he pitches and the way like he's he's basically ready for this level. Maybe not perfect timing and everything for him as far as development goes, but I think he's the type of pitcher that can give you a baseline, right? He he may not be a future ace. He's probably like a mid-rotation back of the rotation guy uh for a really good team. Uh, and and that's really valuable. I don't want to discount that, but uh, he's also the t- he's the type of guy that he can give you a dominant start. But it's more about like this guy can give you five six innings, and it won't be a blow up. And and in all likelihood, he'll 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 keep you in the game. And that's kind of what they're looking for right now, right? That that love that dominant force, that that guy that could just impact the club and change the trajectory of everything. But right now, that that isn't available. So I think he gives you what they need in a really difficult moment as far as the, the pitching staff as a whole goes. Um, I, I've asked around about Shane Green before these last before it became clear how he was str- being stretched out. And he's certainly like on the radar as part of like a potentially part of their plans. This was not like the last I, I, I noticed that too, Brett. It really wasn't on my radar. I thought they were starting him just to get him innings and get him face the top of orders and stuff like that. Um, 
I, I don't know what the plan is now. I haven't followed up uh, on Shane Green because there's been so many things, especially with the minor leagues, uh, Wicks and PCA at the forefront, right? Those are usually the questions if I get someone. Uh, I, I don't know. I, that, I think it's really interesting. I don't know what they're doing there. Uh, if it's actually a start, it, that's... I mean, it's it's really interesting, but I you know I think you could just use multiple innings out of the bullpen too. So maybe just getting a veteran like that back up. Boxberger is struggling. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys in AAA. Blyer, uh, the the guy they just picked up, Useda. Yeah, it, he's there. There none of them have had good outings with Iowa yet. So so we'll see. Uh, there's forty man. There's two forty man spots open, and you know I think Jared Young's still on the forty man at the moment. So if you really need a third, you could find figure that out because I mean essentially you need uh, like if you're bringing up Wicks and then a reliever that's not on the forty man, and then I I think you'd like to hope that they could get PCA up here at some point uh soon uh so you'd like to have three spots in theory uh we'll we'll see how they make it work uh i, I think there's obvious fits and obvious ways to make it work so so the, it, it'll be interesting it, and it's exciting that we can talk about this stuff and and it's a these these things matter uh, jordan wicks would uh was probably what like third or fourth on the minor league list starting the season as far as starting pitchers and and has kind of shot up and and uh and i guess it kind of shows like that's how close these guys are right go look at who's on the high a roster right now and if things go right maybe they're helping next september right so that that's like the when you're contending these things can move quicker than when you're not and i mean the cubs Never want to publicly reveal this stuff until the last minute. You never know what could pop up over the next couple of days. But if we're talking about a Sunday getaway day in Pittsburgh in late August for your big league debut, like just saying that out loud makes me want to take a nap. Like <laughs> probably like the easiest landing spot for Wicks to make that start, right? I mean, I think you got to look at it that way too to kind of ease him in particularly after what didn't like Caleb Killian make his debut last year like against the Cardinals on like national TV or something yep. like that like, like a Fox Saturday uh, Fox Saturday yeah so I think you know Wicks by all accounts uh, is a pretty mature guy who uh, went to college you know the Kansas State coaching staff just loved his uh, approach, you know, he came across as kind of a professional uh, even back then. So I really don't see kind of what you have to lose here, right? Man, well, you got to get me thinking about that first inning that Killian threw against the Cardinals. Remember how good he looked? It was like, oh my gosh, they got a guy, they got a guy, and boy, did it turn. <laughs> and and I, you know, I'm not even I'm not even being cute because it's it's interesting as we talk about these sort of depth starting options, the Cubs really need someone to come up and take a start. Oh, the 40 man issues. I mean, Killian is on the 40 man. He had been starting in Iowa and he's not even within 30 yards of this conversation. I've noticed this with friends as I've been talking about these this issues like, "Oh, who's going to come up? How are they going to deal with this?" Like Killian's name never comes up. And that I think the bigger picture point on that is you know, you can't get too far ahead because it uh, was last year, early in the year, it was like, ah, oh, yeah, they got Killian. He's coming eventually. And so you don't want to, you never want to assume 
that, you know, Wix will come up and he'll definitely be capable or Cade Horton is on the come and he'll be up here next year and be great. And Ben Brown, he just got to get healthy and then he'll be. So you, you don't want to make assumptions because some guys will flame out even when you weren't anticipating it. Um, but you have to have a lot of them. You just have to have a lot of options. And so maybe some of the thinking on a guy like Shane Green is maybe he'll get a start. Maybe he won't. But let's just get him stretched out because he's feeling good and he kind of wants to try to he's 34. He wants to try starting again. We'll just get him stretched out and see if maybe an opportunity shows up. And, and that might be all that there is to it. in a lot of these decisions, um, let's leave that for now. And uh, last last topic, because we have to touch on it, uh, is the Shohei Otani injury so for folks who haven't heard because it happened overnight west coast kind of thing he left uh, a, a game against the reds in the first game of doubleheader he actually played i believe in the second game after getting imaging in between games that showed he had a to- partially torn ucl um so that's that's pretty wild that he played but that is a reminder that as a dh he can play through it and it's not that's not an issue which may become a factor in the years ahead um obviously major major not enough majors to, you, you can't say too many majors about the implications for this, for a guy who was going to be the most transcendent free agent in baseball history. And that may yet be, but now if he's got to get a second Tommy John surgery, how does that change the risk risk calculus for teams? How does it impact other players in the market? How long did teams wait? What does the structure of a contract look like? So on and so on and so on. I mean, there's just, it makes your head spin trying to think through all the potential implications from this one little one little tear and one little ligament in an elbow. Yeah, I mean, it, well, we've seen... So Bryce Harper had Tommy John, right? And and we've seen... Obviously, Shohei hit pretty quickly after having his first Tommy John. So we've seen it with multiple players. He's the DH is in both leagues so he can be an impactful bat still right I mean he doubled and homered yesterday with with that torn partially torn UCL uh so he's he's gonna get a lot of money and I think it's the contract it, it, like what does the contract look like and and not likely an opt-out after one year right and what is 14 16 months to recover from the tommy john if he gets it soon that's you know he'll be ready to hit by april or may um so there's a i mean that i think the implication to me is how does this market now impact cody bellinger's market that's when that's my first thought when it comes to how does this relate to the cubs right um the cubs can still look at him and maybe now it becomes more plausible that they can sign him to like some sort of uh you know uh want, like if he's looking for just strictly a one-year deal who knows what he's looking for right does he want the one year with the opt-out with like a, a or multi-year with an opt-out after one or does he just want say like i just want the one-year deal and i'm gonna figure out my options afterwards uh it, it'll it'll be interesting to see what what type of deal he wants what type of deal uh he's gonna get i think he's still gonna cash in because he can hit like he's a, he's an impactful bat uh he's a, he doesn't need to be this uh you know maybe 10 years 600 million dollars is out the window but uh i think he's he, he's still still a game changer for a lineup so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I'm just curious, like, do teams that were more interested in the bat start saying, 
well, maybe we just focus on Cody Bellinger and this impacts the Cubs' ability to sign him, uh, re-sign him. I think that that's what the, the question that when I saw this news, when I woke up, uh, obviously it sucks to, you know, you love having the best players healthy and, and playing, but then I was like, how does this impact the Cubs? Oh, geez, yeah, that could impact Cody Bellinger's market. Are there going to be more teams in on him? Uh, that'll be That'll be interesting to see play out. So we're talking about an injured player, a front office with a minimal appetite for risk, and a player with no obvious connection to the Cubs or the city of Chicago, right? That's where it'll be set. So I, I don't know. I don't – sure, they're going to try. They're going to kick the tires. Maybe I'm wrong. I, it just doesn't seem like a Jed Hoyer scenario. It's not lining up for uh, – you know, I don't care how cool your drone videos are. Like, I don't know. Like, you can you can try. You should certainly inquire and do your due diligence. Uh, I just think Bellinger, the Cubs are going to be on Bellinger's short list no matter what happens between now and then. I don't think there are that many teams that are going to want to do business with Scott Boris on a deal of that magnitude. Uh, I do genuinely think Bellinger appreciates his comfort level here. I think it would be really hard to start over on some, like, huge mega deal in a new city with a new team. Like, I I can't think that's very uh, appealing. And after playing at Dodger Stadium and at Wrigley Field, um, and if you have pretty strong roots in in Arizona, I'd imagine uh, having spring training there. Uh, would be pretty appealing as well. So, I don't know, maybe there is some mystery team out there that's just going to blow away everyone's expectations. Scott Boris uh, is the master of pulling off uh, those types of things, but um, it does feel like like Ballinger is a priority. That's just kind of a gut feel thing more than, like, you know, hard reporting this far out. Well, and I would say it's it's a version of something we talked about pre-trade deadline, but... Um, now knowing that there is that comfort there between the team and the player, and he's had that success, uh, and I don't think anyone would try to tell you that Bellinger is going to give the Cubs some huge discount to sign. But if the money is the same in two places, he's going to choose the Cubs. Like, I just, I I don't think I'm being too bold in saying that they have the tiebreaker right now. Um, And that is something to always remember, that, that, when a guy comes to a place, if he's comfortable there, these are humans and they want, of course, to get what they can get in free agency. They want to get their worth, but all else equal, if the money is equal, they're going to play somewhere they're comfortable, where they feel like they can be competitive, where they feel like they're happy around the team. And to the Cubs credit, and it's something that Dansby Swanson talks about a lot, I feel like they have shown that they have a path to continue to be competitive for 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 years ahead so it's a comfortable place it's a place that can be competitive for many years so yeah i don't if the money's there i don't um i don't have any concerns that he would re-up with the cubs now the question is whether like mooney said whether there's some team that just gets totally wacky with the money um and the the impact of the shohei otani injury i think is is real i think there's probably it only takes one team that was going to be very serious on Otani to look at that situation and now say boy that's at the price level you're talking about that's a risk that we're not willing to take Cody Bellinger's 28 
he bounced back nice. Our internal evaluations say, oh, it really was the injuries that held him down, and now it's sustainable, and yada, yada, yada. We're maybe going to go a little more aggressive on him than we were. Um, so I, I'm with you on that, Sahadev. That was right where my head went to after the whole, holy shit, it really sucks that the best player we've ever seen play baseball is is now not going to pitch the rest of this year. And um, wherever he winds up in free agency, it sort of puts a question mark on the the special mystique of, of what he is and what he can be. Because coming back from that second Tommy John surgery, while by no means impossible, uh, it is. It's just a little bit of a tougher tougher road, and, and, and especially post-age 30, as he will be next year. Uh, let's leave it there, because there'll be plenty of time to talk Otani in the months ahead. Um, this is on Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sadiq Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Cubs play four against the Pirates this weekend. We'll see who takes all of the various starts and how that gets re-situated and calibrated for next week. I actually look forward to talking about that next week on our next episode. Until then, hope you folks have a good weekend and take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.